Welcome to Mad Tales. Hi there, everybody. I'm James Nolan. I'm coming to you at the end of June 2022 in my not quite little tiny studio in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Today, we are resuming my audiobook chapters of Mungwort, which I started way back at the beginning of the year. Mungwort is the sequel of sorts to MPK, the radio play, which aired last week. Here is a quick recap of what I've released so far. In Chapter 1, The Hard Kind, our hero, Cece, returns to Fredericksburg after a long hiatus, seeking to find her estranged father, who she learned has gone missing on a farm out in Spotsylvania. She finds herself in a tight spot in a diner just outside of town, facing off with a scar-faced man whose designs are less than savory. In Chapter 2, Ben Doth Murder Sleep, Cece arrives on Lilith's farm, where she meets her new co-workers and is subjugated to the downright slave-like working conditions of the operation. In Chapter 3, What in the Happy Horseshit is This? Or, more appropriately spoken, What in the Happy Horseshit is This? Cece saves one of her colleagues from certain death and is rewarded by meeting her overseers, Warner and Mueller, a pair of awful, awful human beings. And finally, in Chapter 4, Sumac on Steroids, while doing a bit of sleuthing and trying to find the whereabouts of her father, Cece is attacked out in the forest. Which brings us up to Chapter 5, Pick Your Poison. Here, Cece uncovers some unsavory clues while snooping about in the basement of Lilith's house, which leads to a very tense confrontation. Can't wait until next week to see what happens next? Mungwort is available in a variety of formats, including ebook, paperback, hardcover, and, of course, audiobook. You can pick those up wherever you buy your ebooks, paperbacks, hardcovers, or audiobooks. And now, on with the next chapter of Mungwort. Cece tossed and turned on her kai, trying to ignore the pain and the incessant need to itch, and failing at both. It got so bad that at 2.30 in the morning, Harlow sat up and said, Jesus, Cece, just go to the infirmary. I didn't know he had one. Three tents down on the right. Does it have a nurse? Does this place look like it has a nurse? The infirmary wasn't so much an infirmary as it was an empty yurt with a single cot and a first aid kit sitting on an end table. Cece almost didn't bother to open it, but then, curious and in the mood for irony, she went over and flicked open the clasps. The contents of the kit made her laugh out loud. What had she been expecting? Some band-aids, a pair of scissors? Instead, all she found was three rolls of gauze, a packet of ibuprofen, and a tongue depressor. She wrapped her oozing skin in the gauze, popped the pain relievers, and settled in for the night, most of which she spent writhing around in abject misery. Add to that the fact that the vent in the infirmary didn't work, and the most she could do was imagine what life had been like before. She tried to distract herself. The vodka had helped, hadn't it? And the shower and the lavender? But challenging a rash the likes of which plagued her body was like plugging an erupting volcano with an orange. The next morning broke as hot and as hazy as all the mornings prior. 
Cece sat on a box in front of the infirmary, sucking down a cigarette and watching the dawn unfold. The sky lightened, turning from purple to rose to pink, and a fine mist lifted off the fields, feigning the appearance of a cool English dale. But Cece knew that the only reason the temperature dropped at night was because the sun disappeared, and even then it only lowered five or ten degrees. Soon that hateful orb would rise over the ugly, cursed forest, bringing with it the unbearable heat and humidity. And soon after that, she'd be out in the west field shoveling mungwort with Ben. What the hell am I doing here, she thought. She'd never worked harder in her life, not picking fruit, not digging trenches, not spreading asphalt. The muscles in her arms and legs ached, her back felt like a slab of concrete, and her body had been ravaged by the worst rash she'd ever known. She pressed her forearm, trying to relieve the itch. Blood and pus were already bleeding through the gauze. After a moment, she reached into her back pocket and carefully removed her father's postcard. The Chatham Bridge, the Rappahannock River. Visit Historic Fredericksburg. Yeah, she said. Visit Historic Fredericksburg, where farmers grow toxic sludge and the trees try to kill you. She flipped it over and read the note scrawled on the back, running her fingers over her father's signature. By the time her stomach growled, it was already five degrees hotter. She didn't want to go to breakfast. She didn't want to have to explain what happened. She didn't want to see the pity in their eyes, especially Ben's. So she got up and made her way over to the field kitchen before anybody woke and snagged a bagel and a hard-boiled egg off the serving cart, ignoring the stares of the kitchen staff. She was heading back to her yurt when Warner and Mueller came out of the basement of the main house and stopped dead in their tracks. Cece kept walking. What in the Sam Spade happened to you? Warner growled. It's nothing, just a few scratches. She continued on, Warner eyeballing her. Stop, he ordered. I'm fine, Warner. Stop what you're doing and get your ass over here. No thanks. Warner and Mueller shared a look. Hey, Warner snapped. Watching an overweight middle-aged man trying to run was almost as painful as being the overweight middle-aged man trying to run. Cece could have stopped. She knew he was going to catch up to her, but she didn't want to. Besides, Listening to him gasp for breath as he jogged up from behind gave her a momentary feeling of satisfaction. She almost laughed out loud when he heaved his bulk in front of her. Stop, goddammit! He looked like he was on the verge of passing out. He strode a few steps away, gasping, before turning back and putting his hands on his knees. Man, Warner, Cece said, you're out of shape. No shit. What do you want? Warner held up a finger. Cece crossed her arms. I need to get my gear before we head out. You ain't going nowhere. I told you, I'm fine. You look like you jumped on a hand grenade. Look, man, I can work. Warner stood erect, wiped the sweat off his face, and took a deep breath. Fuck you, you can. What is it, Ivy or Sumac? No idea, probably both. That shit's highly transmissible, you idiot. You so much as look at someone and they'll break out. I can't have my whole crew sidelined just because you want to prove you're the biggest butch on the block. Cece clenched her jaw. Fine, I'll just sleep on my cot. Uh, no, we don't pay you to jerk off all day. I'm putting you on flower power with Rufus. An hour later, Cece was standing in front of a flower bed next to the main house. She cast a look over at the field kitchen. Hands were heading out to the fence line in groups of three and four. Jake hopped into Iko's four-wheeler with a whoop and kissed her before they tore away. Warner started his truck and made a U-turn, making sure Cece could see the white oval of Ben's face staring mournfully out at her as they dragged him out to shovel the mungwort alone. Mueller was sitting on the wheel well in the back. He smiled like a schoolgirl and gave her a wiggly-fingered wave. Rufus, his arm in a sling, strolled up, holding a trowel. Holy cow, you look like a mummy. Thanks. What happened? What do you think happened? 
Did you swim in it? Yeah, Rufus, I swam in it. Really? Cece motioned at his shoulder. How's the wing? Hurts. I think it's more than dislocated, no thanks to you. It'd be a lot more than dislocated if I hadn't tackled you. Whatever. Okay, you want to tell me what we're doing here? Rufus spread his good arm out in a dramatic arc. Welcome to Flower Power. The job's pretty easy. He tapped her arm with a trowel. Ow, watch it, dude. Six-inch holes a foot apart. Okay, then what? He scooped up a bucket filled with bulbs. Put one of these in each. Six-inch holes. Six-inch holes. A foot apart. A foot apart. Cece eyed the rich soil before her. Eyed the bucket. Twenty bulbs, maybe twenty-two. Shit. She'd finish the job in a half an hour. Fuck you, Warner, she thought. I'll jerk off as much as I want you today, you dick. That's it, she said. Well, she wants the whole driveway done, so... Rufus pointed behind her. Two dozen buckets lined the brick walkway outside the basement door. If toiling in the blistering sun all day, cutting vines off of a fence, or hauling bundles of branches, or hacking away at endless underbrush, or digging toxic goo out of the ground was arduous, somehow planting hundreds of bulbs was worse. It must have been the monotony. Dig, scoop, dig, scoop, bulb in the hole, pack the dirt in, repeat. Rufus mostly loafed around by the front porch, pretending now and then to plant a bulb or inspect the mulch that lined the driveway. He made himself so scarce that Cece forgot about him. That's why, about an hour into the job, she nearly jumped when a voice behind her said, That's too deep. She spun and yelped. Rufus loomed over her, the sun behind his head, his face strangely obscured. Jesus, dude, you scared the shit out of me. Your holes are too deep. The shoot will never break the surface. Cece gritted her teeth, pushed half an inch of dirt back into the hole she'd been digging, and looked up at him. Much better, he said, and he wandered off to a different part of the yard. The morning blazed onward. Cece was five buckets in when she felt something buzz on her thigh. Thinking it was a bug or a bee or, knowing the farm, some kind of mutated death hornet, she whacked at her leg with a trowel and instantly regretted it for two reasons. One, the pain. Two, it wasn't a murder hornet. It was her phone. Ah, fuck, she spat. She threw the trowel down and dug her phone out of her pocket. A maze of broken glass webbed one corner, one line etched across the screen, but the rest of it was intact. A notification informed her she only had 5% of her battery left. She swiped it away, uncovering a text from Scarface. You there? Cece went to tap the notification, but another ad for Regeneron popped up, and she hit the link instead. Her browser opened, and a landing page filled her screen. Regeneron by SingleCorp. Alleviate your anxiety. Dunk your depression. Forget your fears with Regeneron. Fuck you, Regeneron. She mashed the button, trying to close the ad, but the screen froze and went black. No, 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 no. She mashed the button again, and the phone glowed to life. Another text from Scarface popped up. Two question marks. Cece tapped at her screen, but her gauze-covered thumbs could only fumble over the letters. Fuck! She ripped the bandage off her hands with her teeth and typed two letters. Y-E. Send. Only 3% battery left. The ellipses blinked in and out, in and out. The battery winked down to 2%. Come on, dude! She tapped out another text. Call. One second. Two seconds. Three seconds. She was in the middle of typing call again when the phone vibrated. Scarface's scarred face appeared on the screen. Cece hit accept. Dude, hurry up, I only have 2%. Static greeted her in response, a high-pitched squelch of radio frequency with Scarface's voice weaving in and out of it. Can't. Danville. She knows. I can't hear you, man. You're breaking up. A door banged somewhere nearby and Cece instinctively crouched and plugged a thumb in one ear. Tracking her. Father. I... Who is she? What does she know? 
figure out. Forrest. The line went dead. No, Cece barked. She held the phone out and stared at the black screen as if she'd never seen one before, as if glaring would turn it back on. When it didn't, she slumped. A warm breeze rushed across the field, toying with her hair, drying the sweat on her skin. She stood up with a sigh and looked around. Rufus was nowhere to be seen. Yurtville was dead. Another breeze shook the lights strung between the tents. The lights? There had to be a power source somewhere. Maybe it was hooked up to the main house? As if on cue, the door leading to the basement creaked open. Cece's mouth dropped open. Then she chuckled. Cece hovered in the entry, not quite ready to commit. If this wasn't B and E, it was certainly E. The basement smelled like mold and dirt, and, under that, a hint of something rotten. Packed dirt floor, cinder block walls. Directly in front of her, a shelf laden with old power tools leaned drunkenly to one side. To the left, an old gas generator squatted in the corner. To the right, an egress window through which the sun poured. Under it stood a workbench covered with various tools, instruction manuals, and other workshop detritus. Miraculously, on top of the mess sat a power strip, its cord snaking under an old safety vest. Cece followed the cord back to where it plugged into the receptacle on the wall and back to the outlets on the strip. The on-off switch blinked to life. Fuck yes. She beelined for the workbench, whipped a power brick and cable out of her pocket, and plugged her phone in. Then she waited. Water rushed through the pipes, the white noise of the basement. Then a beep sounded from somewhere nearby. Was she hearing things? She cocked her head. Nothing but dead air. It came again. Beep! Maybe it was an appliance? A washer or a dryer or a water heater or something? She crept over to the stairs and peeked up. Light shone through a crack under the closed door at the top. A cabinet banged. The floorboards creaked. The shadow of a footstep interrupted the beam. Cece scurried back to the workbench, hand hovering over her phone. She could be out of the cellar in seconds, just snatch everything up and slip out the exit. She waited for the door to open, for footsteps to start down the stairs. Counted to ten, twenty, thirty. When she made it to one minute, she finally exhaled. On the other side of the work area, a flight of antique tools hung from a pegboard. Clamps and calipers, wrenches and pliers. Under that, a row of boxes stacked on top of each other. They were old and rotting, slumping to one side. She glanced at her phone. The icon glowed to life. It was going to be a while. Might as well have a look around. Russian letters on the box top label, followed by an address in... Marita? Marita, Mexico? She tugged on the flap and it ripped off, so she folded it up and stuffed it in her pocket. And when she tried to pull the box out, the cardboard was so old that it crumbled in her fingers. The bottom edges were wet and oily, so she shoved one hand under, grimacing at the slick feel, and gently pulled it out. The other three flaps were a little more solid than the first, and they flopped aside when she opened them up. Sitting on top was a porn magazine with a picture of a woman in a cowboy hat, wearing cowboy boots, but nothing else. She was straddling a hobby horse, firing a six-shooter into the air with one hand and whipping a lasso over her head with the other. Cece picked it up by one corner and dropped it to the side like it was a piece of diseased fruit. The next magazine was very much of the same inclination, only this one enjoyed an Arabian theme, replete with camels, a man-sized sphinx, cats, and serpent spangles. Under that, more porn. And more porn. Cece picked the box back up and pushed it back into place. Behind her, a pale face emerged from a dark corner, then darted away. Cece heard the shuffle and looked up, but all she could see was darkness at the far end of the basement. She shook it off and returned her attention to the boxes. The next one was sturdier, but only contained basement flotsam. Zip ties, rusting chains, old locks. 
Disappointed, she pocketed a couple of zip ties and shoved the box back into place. A little too hard, it would seem, as the workbench shook and a manila envelope taped to the underside dropped onto the floor. Cece looked around, expecting someone to come marching out of nowhere, demanding to know, what the hell do you think you're doing? But it didn't happen. She unclasped the top and shook the contents out into her open hand. Pictures. A whole stack of them. But these weren't pornographic. They were images of the farmhands of various stages of work. Fixing the fence, cutting down trees, an entire series devoted to men and women in rubber vests and shoulder-length gloves, covered in tar-like globs, a close-up of a young lady staring into the lens, dark circles under her eyes, her skin an archipelago of scars. And finally, one taken with a telephoto lens. It was just a guy, a regular old guy, 30, 40, maybe older. He was shirtless and hoisting a bale of hay into the bed of Warner's truck, gritting his teeth with the effort. The muscles in his back and arms bulged, his stomach was flat and defined. Cece peered closer, disbelieving but hopeful. There, on his hip, a knife with a hand-carved antler handle. She stared at it for a long time, her face flat, her hands shaking. So you were here after all, she said. She folded the picture and tucked it into her back pocket. Something scuffed the floor behind her. She spun around. There, not two feet away, stood an old woman. She was tall and handsome, with long gray hair piled up in a bun on top of her head. A pair of emerald earrings hung from each ear, and a necklace with a nested doll charm rested on her bosom. She was holding Cece's phone. If you wanted a charge, dear, she said, you only had to ask. Hey, 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 Mungwort, the sequel to MPK is out right now in ebook, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. I'm not going to read all of the places it's available online, but I'm sure wherever you are in the world as you listen to this, it is available. And if you still can't get it, go to silverhammer.studio and click on the contact me button and I'll see if I can get it out to you directly. Most likely I can. Can't wait to hear it? Don't want to go chapter by chapter? Pick up Mungwort today. And now... Back to Mad Tales. The old woman's dining room decor reminded Cece of a 70s farmhouse. Mismatched chairs, distressed plank table, a worn hutch displaying antique china, an aggressive-looking tulip in a pot hung from a macrame saddle. An aging AC unit chugged away in a window in the living room. It rattled to a stop, and the air in the room immediately grew warmer. Cece turned to the bay window. From there, she could see the entire property, Yurtville to the right, the field kitchen slightly off-center, and, in the distance, the north pasture and the green line of the fence. Her co-workers scurried like ants around the worksite, hacking brush, chainsawing branches. The indistinct murmur of a talk show host floated out of the kitchen. And what are you going to do, friends, when the cabal comes for you? We are in a fight for our very country, our souls, our children's souls, our children's children's souls are at stake. Pick your poison. Cece spun around. The old woman was standing in the dining room holding a tea service. Excuse me? Tea, dear. What kind would you like? Just regular old tea is fine. The old woman sat the service on the dining room table, placing herself, Cece noted, between her and the living room and, beyond that, the front door. We don't have any regular old tea, young lady. We have our own special blends. She nodded at the steeps. They look like tiny medieval weapons. Yellow Dream, Black Mamba, or White Bone? Cece considered her options. I'll do Black Mamba. Brave girl. Please, sit. 
Cece chose a chair as far away from the old woman as possible. We haven't properly introduced ourselves yet, I'm afraid. My name is Lilith, and this is my farm. I'm Cece. Pleased to meet you, Cece. The radio host's voice went up an octave. The deep state, with its legions of bureaucratic peons, is protecting the pedophiles! Lilith clucked her tongue. Sorry about the chatter, she said. He was one of Daddy's favorites. He got a little too into it, I'm afraid. I just like to enjoy the show, as they say. She smiled at Cece as if awaiting an answer, and Cece, suddenly realizing it, said, uh, Must be nice. Nice? We can't even get a cell signal out here. We are certainly out in the boonies. Way out in the boonies. Lilith placed a steep into one cup and poured hot water from the tarnished kettle. Steam rose into the air. Your phone should be ready soon. I plugged it into the kitchen outlet. Thanks. I just don't understand what you young people see in those silly devices. You're all so busy staring at them, you don't even see what's going on right underneath your noses. Hmm. Lilith set the kettle down, her eyes grazing over the gauze, peeking out from under Cece's sleeve. You're injured, I see. Farm life a little rougher than you anticipated? I've had worse. I hardly think that's true. The cup rattled on the saucer as the old woman handed it over the table. Here you are. One black mamba for a black mamba. I put some sweetener in there for you. It's my own special blend. A chip marred the lip, and Cece turned the cup and sipped. Her tongue went numb, as if a wasp had stung her. She swallowed and coughed. Lilith smiled. Too much for you, dear? <clears throat> no, it's, it's good. The window unit buzzed to life, and cold air filled the room. A yellow ribbon tied to the vent waved in the air. Cece turned her face to it, resisting the urge to open her mouth. Her throat was burning, her face flushed. A rill of sweat ran down her temple. That's the most high-tech this house gets, I'm afraid, Lilith said. I didn't even want to put it in, but I really can't take the heat anymore. Daddy would not have approved. He built this place, your father? From the roots up. Each beam, each pipe, each wall. His blood is in the foundation. Sounds like an impressive man. Oh, well, you know fathers. Fathers, fathers, fathers. Cece cleared her throat again. A clock ticked somewhere nearby. The refrigerator hummed. Lilith's spoon tinkled in her cup as she stirred. Let's not play this silly game anymore, dear. You stole something from me and I'd like it back. I, I didn't steal anything from you. You most certainly did. I saw you. In the basement. Pinned to her chair, Cece didn't know what to say. Had she taken something of value by accident? Then it struck her. You mean the picture. I most certainly do mean the picture. The girl leaned to the side, took the folded up snapshot out of her back pocket, and tossed it onto the table. Lilith barely glanced at it. I didn't mean to take it, Cece said. You startled me is all. No need to lie, dear. I'm not. With a bemused smile, Lilith tapped her spoon in the edge of her cup and placed it purposefully on the folded napkin at her elbow. Then she reached out with one finger and drew the photo to her. Please don't misunderstand. I mean nobody harm. Workers are the lifeblood of my farm. Without them, without you, this whole place would wither and die. She unfolded the picture and looked at it. This one interests you. Why? No specific reason. What is that, a little something for your scrapbook? Or do you always spy on your workers? I'd hardly call it spying. Sneaking pictures of people while they work isn't spying? This is my land. I'll take pictures of whomever I please. That's rich. Lilith set the photo aside. It just occurred to me that I don't know your last name. It's Stone. C.C. Stone. 
Very interesting. Very sibilant. Cece smiled a tight-lipped smile. Let me ask you something, Miss Stone. How many farms have you owned? Cece didn't understand the intent of the question, but she felt the hostility. She knew it was coming next. Condescension like that was always a precursor to something worse. Almost involuntarily, she reverted to her teenage years, settled back in the chair, which creaked. Seasonal work draws a certain breed, Lilith explained. Most are well-mannered enough. They just want to do their work, get paid, and move on. But some are less savory. Like the guy in that picture? Oh, no, no, he was very useful. Cece's eyes danced over the photo again. Lilith saw it. So you are interested in him, aren't you? No, I'm not. I told you I don't like being lied to, dear. And I don't like being called a liar. The basement door flew open, and the strangest-looking man Cece had ever seen barged in, a lab coat hanging off his bony shoulders, a potted plant clutched to his bird chest. He was both skinny and flaccid, vibrant and depleted, with a pale moon face and jet black hair. A pair of round glasses perched on the end of his pinched nose, and his hands were littered with fresh red scratches and thin white scars. Oh, missus, he cried as he bumbled forward. I'm sorry to disturb you, but the, uh, but the... He caught sight of Cece and bumped into the hutch so hard that it rocked a container filled with marbles. A few spilled over the edge, bounced on the hardwood, and rolled into the corner. He watched them go, then looked at Lilith, helpless. So nice to see you this morning, Laszlo, Lilith said. To Cece, Laszlo is our resident horticulturalist. Cece couldn't tell if the little man's eyes widened or if it was just the effect of his Coke bottle glasses. Whatever the case, he fastened them on her. Is this Cece Stone, Laszlo? One of the new crop. Laszlo blinked away his confusion. Yes, yes, of course. Pleasure to meet you. He stepped forward, one limp hand extended. Cece reached out to shake it, but at the sight of the rash peeking out from under the gauze, Laszlo grabbed her wrist and pulled her arm toward him, pressing his face so close to her skin that she thought he was going to lick it. Goodness me, madam, goodness me! Cece tried to pull her limb back, but the strange little man clamped down harder. Toxic vernix, radicans, diversil, raised nodules filled with bulla, no doubt. He fixed Cece with another wide-eyed look. Such terrible discomfort you must be in! Cece finally wrenched her wrist out of his grasp. Touch me again and I'll break your fingers. Oh, forgive me, Mistress Cecilia. It's Cece. Forgive me, Mistress Cece. I meant no harm, but your rash is so... Where did this happen? Westfield. Westfield, Lilith asked. Are you sure? Yeah. Warner had us scooping up mungwort oil. Warner brought the whole crew out there. No, just me and Ben. I see. And this Ben... Does he look like this too? What? No, it was... I had to take a bathroom break, so I went out past the fence. Cece held up one rash-covered wrist. Bad idea. Have you had any trouble breathing? Headaches? Fever? No, just the rash. Lilith and Laszlo exchanged a look. What's going on? Cece asked. Should I be worried? Evidently not, dear, Lilith said. She stood up, her chair scraping the hardwood, and started around the table, gesturing at the plant Laszlo was still hugging to his chest. Laszlo, my sweet, is this the new hybrid? Oh, yes, oh, yes, here it is, plain as day. He set the plant down on the table, caressing the leaves. It matured this morning. Look right here. See the markings on the petiole? The red venules? The thickened blade? They're filled to bursting. Oh, I love the yellow-orange streaks, Lilith said. Yes, I mixed it with jewelweed. Be a dear and give me a leaf, will you? Of course, mistress, of course. He snapped a petal from the stem and handed it to her. Here you are. 
Lilith made a fist and crushed the petal, releasing a lotion-like sap. She held it up to her nose. Smells like honeysuckle. She nodded at Cece's wrist. May I? Before Cece could respond, the old woman's fingers darted out and swiped at her raw wound with a healthy dollop of the sap. Cece gasped, first in shock, then at the immediate relief. Her wrist went numb, and the numbness crept up her arm to the crook of her elbow. What is that? Just a little something Laszlo and I whipped up. We call it aloe's bane. Bane? As in wolf's bane? We dilute it, dear. It neutralizes the poison. Seeing Cece's uncertainty, Lilith added, Not to worry, dear. Laszlo and I have been breeding unique combinations of plants for years, haven't we, Laszlo? Oh, yes! Yes, indeed! Lilith frowned at Cece's arm, seeming to think about something. Then she said, You know what? I know just the thing to aid the healing of that nasty little rash of yours. Mrs. No! Laszlo said. Oh, quiet, Laszlo. But there's a mineral spring a short walk through the Westwood. The water has healing powers. I'm sure it does, Cece said. Laszlo here uses it all the time, don't you, my boy? Cece's foam buzzed to life on the counter. Oh, sounds like your toy is awake, Lilith said. Notifications dinged one after the other. I thought you said we didn't get a signal out here. Cece was already up. She scooted around the chairs and into the kitchen. We don't. Another ding. You must be a popular girl. Cece pocketed her phone without looking. Then she unplugged the brick and cord and stashed them in her back pocket. Don't you even want to see who's been trying to contact you? Lilith asked. I think it was just trying to update. So this pond, where is it? Lilith studied her. Laszlo, would you be a deer and see our guest to the path? Laszlo sputtered and frowned. He threw a frightened look at the front door. Laszlo? Yes, he said. Of course, missus, of course. Cece tramped through the woods. Sun dappled the leaves in the canopy above. Birds chirped. And the air seemed to lighten the farther along she walked. She smelled the spring before she saw it, fresh and clean with a tinge of lavender and mint. And when the path opened up to the banks of the water, Cece couldn't help but laugh. It was simply incredible. To the right, a wall of boulders formed a fall down which fresh water trickled. A willow on the opposite bank plunged its roots into the pool, its lustrous branches shading more than half of the water's surface. Cece half expected a doe to creep out of the woods for a mid-morning drink. Oh, fuck yeah, she said. She took off her clothes, stripped off the gauze, and crept to the edge. The dirt on the bank crumbled when she sank her toes into it, and the crumbles pattered down the incline into the water, producing perfect circles that reverberated out. With a squeal of joy, she cannonballed in. She broke the surface with a gasp and a laugh. The water was so cold that it was hard to breathe at first, but her body adjusted as she splashed around. She backstroked in a circle, watching the sunlight flitting through the willow branches, then freestyled to the middle, flipped, and dove as far as she could. Finally, tired from her exertions, she floated on her back. She closed her eyes and listened to the sound of her breathing. She drifted to the edge, and when her head nudged a root, she opened her eyes. A man was standing on the bank, hands in his pockets, looking down at her. Nice, isn't it? Fuck! Cece cried. She dropped her legs and kicked back to the middle. There she turned and treaded water. You've been watching me, you perv? Not really. I was just looking for my dog. She likes to hang out down here. He was younger than she initially thought. Her age, maybe? Early thirties, max. He wore a full beard and his hair high and tight, with an exaggerated part on one side. He put his fingers in his mouth and whistled. Sacha! Something stirred in the woods behind him. Bushes rattled, a few birds startled into the air, and a yellow lab burst out of the brush and knocked into the man's legs. Whoa there, girl, he said laughing. He knelt to pet the dog, which attacked his face with her tongue. Cece was climbing out of the water when Sacha first noticed her. She barked and made as if to run forward, but her owner wrapped his arms around her chest. Don't turn around, Cece ordered. I won't. 
She reached for her shirt and paused a mid-grab. Holy shit. She held her arm up to her face. The skin was pink, healthy, and unblemished, wrist to elbow. She felt her neck. The welts and pustules had disappeared. With wide eyes, she looked at her legs. From the tip of her toes to her waist, her skin was clear. Everything okay? The man called. Cece looked up. Satra was watching her, tongue lolled, but the peeping Tom had his back to her. She pulled her shirt down over her head, keeping her eyes on him. I'm fine, thanks. My name's Vic, by the way. Cece slid into her jeans and hiked them up. What the fuck are you doing here, Vic? I should ask you the same thing. This is my property. Cece stepped into her shoes and snatched up her socks. Lilith said I could swim here. Did she? A footstep in the dirt, the snap of a twig, and when Vic turned around, all he saw was a branch shaking in the girl's wake. Nice to meet you, he called. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mad Tales. Don't forget that Mungwort is out in ebook, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. Listen to these awesome reviews of Mungwort. Joe Edwards says, Wow, this book kept my attention. You can really get into the characters. Noel really brings them and the scenery to life like you're really there and going through what these characters are going through and feeling. I love the way he writes. I almost felt like I was watching a movie, which would be a really good one. I love the ending. Well done, James Noel. Well done. Kevin R. Johnson states, Great believable characters, evil goons, badass female heroes, unexpected twists, gory sci-fi, awesome ending, loved it. My all-time favorite of Noel's books. Another Amazon reviewer states, Holy mackerel, this is the first book I've read by James Noel and it has me lost for words. Terrifying, exciting, twisted, and totally unique. It has very well-developed characters and is set in some sort of labor camp that's being attacked by the surrounding forest itself. And finally, Marie Isabel states, As a hiker, the plant-based creepies gave me the willies. That's all for now. Thank you for tuning into Mad Tales, and I will see you next week. survived another episode of Mad Tales.